You're listening to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. Sex and relationship advice you can use tonight. Welcome to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. I'm Brandon Ware here with my lovely partner, Dr. Jess. Hey, hey. How you doing today, babe? I'm great. Yeah, Very feeling good. good. Yeah. Feeling sexually empowered? Very. Really? I don't know. I kind of put me on the spot with that question. I, I feel great. I do. What does that mean to you, sexual empowerment? Is this is this a test? No, I'm curious. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, He's empower- stalling people. He's I am. stalling. I'm trying to th- formulate a, a crafty response. No, I think sexually empowered is just being aware of your what you're comfortable with, uh, being open-minded to new ideas, and being uh, non-judgmental. I think when somebody presents something to you, even if it's not your cup of tea, just acknowledging that it's not and not judging it to each their own. It's interesting that you bring up not judging in the context of other people's desires. Because I think it's a good reminder that when we judge other people, it's usually because we have some judgment about ourselves. Yeah, there's been so much in the news over the last few years, whether it's uh, sexual health education and uh, or, you know, just issues in general. And my opinion is very much if you're not hurting anyone else and you're educating, informing and helping people have healthy lives, how does that not benefit everyone? Well, it's it's interesting because our friends over at WeVibe had their account taken down without notice, without explanation on Instagram. And this is happening to sexuality and sexual health education accounts across the board. And of course, it's concerning to me because I work really hard on Instagram. I don't just throw up photos oftentimes. I'm actually crafting posts that are sort of like mini blog posts. And that could be taken down at any time. Now, granted, I know Instagram is a free service, but I think it's interesting that In WeVibe's case, for example, selling sex toys is a problem, but there are so many other ads on my feed for beauty products, for tummy tucks, for lip injections, for, I don't know, all sorts of beauty-related products. And let me be clear, if you like those things, that is perfectly fine. And I think it's important to emphasize that many of these products are sold to us using body shaming approaches, right? You are not good enough. That wrinkle makes you unattractive. Your lips aren't big enough. Your butt isn't big enough. Your waist is too big. Like I see all the cool sculpting ads. And I think it's interesting that products that create shame around our bodies and profit from that shame are held in a much higher regard than products that are simply designed to help us love, enjoy, and embrace our bodies. And in censoring sexual health education, what they're doing is sending the message that sex and pleasure are shameful and they shouldn't be discussed. And the cost of this message is so frightening to me because if you don't have the tools and permission to talk about what you want and what you don't want, your desires, your boundaries, your fears, your concerns, how do you even begin to negotiate consent. When accurate, evidence-based sexual health information is censored, we know that folks turn to non-educational sources, primarily porn, 
to learn about sex. And porn can be lovely, it can be titillating, it can be exciting, it can be entertaining, but it is not designed with education in mind. It does not reflect comprehensive sexual health education or evidence-based information. And we know that education can help you to thoughtfully reconsider some of the messages you receive in porn and popular media. So by censoring this information, it's this cycle of disempowering people. And when you remove sex education, you cost people their lives. So we know that sexual health education saves lives. It's associated with higher academic achievement, greater gender equity, higher school attendance rates, uh, suicide prevention. I know it's linked with higher levels of confidence, lower risk of abuse, and more fulfilling relationships. So we've got all this data linking sex education with positive health and personal outcomes, but we're saying, no, man, don't talk about sex. And I, I don't know, it, put, it puts me in a state of fear and a state of, uh, you know, hypervigilance, which is just distressful to see all these other accounts censored. And, you know, my turn could be next. And I bring up the censorship of WeVibe's uh, Instagram account because we're going to talk briefly about sexual repression and empowerment today. I had an Instagram follower message me and ask, how do I know if I'm sexually repressed and if my partner is involved in making me feel this way? I read about sexual empowerment and that's how I want to be. So this person wants to know if they're repressed and they want to feel sexually empowered. And I think it's important to begin with a reminder that sexual empowerment and sexual repression are not static states of being. They are experiences that fluctuate over time. You may feel repressed one day and empowered the next, and it's not always a linear build or an ascension from repression to empowerment. You may experience empowerment in one sexual scenario and then struggle to overcome the repression with which you were raised. The experience of sexual repression, which is, I think, universal, doesn't mean that repressed needs to be a part of your sexual identity. It is an experience and sexuality is, is fluid, fluid. And, you know, other examples, you may feel empowered on your own, but you may be socially repressed because of your gender, your sexual orientation, your race, your age, your ability, and or your body type. And... While empowerment and overcoming sexual repression can be, I think, admirable goals, I think it's important to look in the ways, look at the ways in which systemic structures can wreak havoc on our sexual identities and sexual expression. So, you know, you you grew up probably somewhere in the middle. Would you would you say in terms of the sexual messages you received? Yeah, reflecting back on my upbringing, the sexual messages were fairly limited and it was very much don't come home with a kid. Mm -hmm. um, I remember sex education in junior school and then when I got to high school, I'm not Catholic, but I went to a Catholic high school and was taught by uh, you know my religion teacher about sexual health and education and it was about the abstinence method. Uh, which, f from my perspective, reflecting, again, reflecting back on it now, is kind of frightening. Yeah, and you actually did practice abstinence throughout high school. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, actually, that's great. Yeah, I really did. 
throughout many of my high school years, <laughs> I did practice that. And the the um, the other the other method that they did teach was the rhythm method. So mine was the no rhythm method, where you know you just went without, like you said. But it, it it's scary to think about that message being relayed because rhythm the, that method of birth control it doesn't stop other things from being transmitted. Of course. It, yeah, it's not safe for sex because no. we're not accounting for STI transmission. When you think of the word repression, when have you felt sexually repressed or how have you experienced sexual repression? I don't think that I ever felt repressed. Um, I, I think that it was only through this relationship and you know your involvement when we first met was with the sexual um, the sexual education center at U of T where you're the director, and the people that you were around and their willingness to talk about it openly, honestly, intelligently really opened my mind to new ideas, new things, and a comfort speaking about it. And then when that when that education when that opportunity existed. I don't think I look back and felt, oh, geez, I was really repressed. It was just, it was a new chapter where it was okay to talk about it. Yeah, I think sometimes it's really just about permission to feel what you're feeling. When I think about empowerment, I think about the freedom to seek your own authentic version of sex, right? Permission to embrace whatever feels right for you at the time. And if it involves other people with consent, of course. And it's fluid and it changes, right? So for me, the more you know, I may look back in five, 10 years, and I wouldn't say feel repressed now, but just my life experience in five or 10 years might be that I'm much more empowered in the future. And what's nice is that I can change that right now. It's interesting to me that you bring up my friends from the Sexual Health Education Center and the work that I did there, because it's a reminder that the sexual is social. The people you surround yourself with affect every facet of your life, even though you weren't having sex with any of those people. They left a lasting imprint. And so much of what I've learned about sex has been through the social, from other people's stories, from folks sharing with me. And if we're talking about sexual repression, because this person wants to know, are they repressed? Does their partner play a role in this repression? I think your partner and society in general, can shame you for your sexual desires and fantasies. And if this is the case, I think it's a pretty serious red flag and perhaps a sign that you're not compatible if your partner is making you feel embarrassed or judged for your sexual desires. I often talk about how compatibility can be cultivated. You don't have to want the same things. But if they judge you for your sexual desires, I think it's going to be difficult to find common ground. Uh, now, if their initial initial reaction is judgment, that doesn't mean you need to break up. But I think they may have to dig a little deeper and say, do I really want to judge you? Or is there a discomfort with which I'm sitting and I'm not acknowledging my true feelings around this? And, and if you do feel your partner is judging you and it's making you feel repressed, I say you talk to them about the judgment. Call it exactly what it is. Ask them to explain why they feel this way. What is the source? How does your desire or fantasy or any expression you've shared, how does it make them feel? You know, are they struggling to overcome their own sexual issue or or shame? And perhaps they're projecting their negative feelings onto you. And if they're willing to work on this, 
Of course, you can find a path to compatibility, but if they continue to shame or judge you without acknowledging their own hangups and their own baggage, because we've all got them, I think you might want to consider if they're the right sexual partner for you. Other signs that people are dealing with sexual oppression revolve around guilt. So if you feel guilty about masturbating or enjoying sex, perhaps that's a sign that, you know, you have some shame to let go of. You know, masturbation is, it's common, it's pleasurable, it's healthy for people of all genders. But so many of us were raised to believe that it's a dirty little secret and it can be hard to overcome these messages. So if you are feeling some shame around masturbating, for example, examine the reasons why masturbation is shameful. Make a list with two columns, why it could be bad for me and why it could be good. So the benefits and costs of masturbation and consider the pros against the cons because there aren't that many evidence-based cons. I mean, I, I can't, I'm not saying that you you have to masturbate, okay? And I'm not saying that there aren't some drawbacks for some people at some times, but overall it's it's a healthy approach to sex. And if you can look at sex more through a rational rather than a moral lens, because morality in around sex tends to be quite arbitrary and, you know, not particularly <laughs> complex. I don't think it considers necessarily the nuance of individual desire and experience. So if you can look at it through a rational as opposed to moral lens, you might see that shame or that guilt differently and feel a little bit more empowered, feel less repressed. And other folks find that they really enjoy sex, but they feel ashamed or embarrassed after engaging in sex that brings them pleasure. And if that's the case, you want to consider the messages you received about sex growing up and again, look at them from an evidence-based perspective. Look for real reasons why you shouldn't enjoy sex and why you should feel ashamed. And then look for the reasons why you deserve to enjoy sex. And there are, of course, all these benefits of sex. You know, you it, when you have sex, you actually experience improved sexual functioning. Uh, oftentimes people will report that they feel better about their bodies after sex. S having sex can actually lead to more sex and heighten your sexual desire. It's, having sex can also help you to relinquish some of the sexual shame that you might be struggling with or perhaps you were raised with because when you bring pleasure to something shameful, it subverts the power of that shame you know, there are some health benefits associated with sex, like lower stress levels, improved circulation to the pelvic region, a better night's sleep, higher relaxation. Um, it can, for some people, apparently improve pelvic floor functioning. And it can help you to have a good night's sleep. And of course, when you sleep well, you have a better relationship with your partner, you have fewer frights, you have more sex, you're better able to resolve conflict. And then sleep is associated with a host of health benefits, including you know, improved cognitive functioning, even digestion, healthy weight maintenance and immunity. And so if sleep, if sex puts you to sleep, it's good for your health. Check for me. <laughs> <laughs> you do. You fall asleep right after. Yeah, I'm done. I'm ready for a nap. At least it's not during. Yes. Yes. So I just want to emphasize that sexual repression is not an identity. It's not a static permanent state of being. It's, it's an experience that fluctuates over time. So I would be less worried about whether you feel good and confident in your sexuality as opposed to worrying about what label you embrace. And empowerment for everybody is very different. For instance, Brandon, how you answered is different than how I might answer. And so you need to do what feels most authentic to you. I think if you were to ask me today what, like, 
if, if, I, if I was repressed, I think it would be the, if somebody stifled or, or prohibited me from having a conversation about it or shamed me, like mm-hmm. you said, because if I can't express how I feel to someone, then I feel like it's like anything. I'm, I'm bottled up. You've commented before, other people have told me the same, therapists, when you can uh, get something off your chest, sometimes it, it kind of releases the demons, right? It, it makes you feel so much better. So I think somebody stopping you from having that conversation and not judging you is going to be, for me, what would, would define repression. That's interesting. So it's really around the conversation. It's not about the action itself. Yeah, again, for me, it would it would start there because the conversation flows in so many different ways. And in our relationship, so much good has come out of conversation and good in sex, in work, in personal and professional activities. It's just you have to start with communicating and communicating is a very... Um, a general broad statement to fix a problem. And folks will run into, I think, the obstacle of a partner who doesn't want to talk. And so if your partner doesn't want to talk, oftentimes you have to look at other ways to open the conversation. Maybe it's an activity. Maybe it's just watching a television show and talking about how the characters on the show deal with an issue because it can be easier to talk about third parties, especially fictional third parties, than to talk about your own relationship. You may also want to consider how you're approaching the topic because if you're making an accusation, of course your partner is going to withdraw or shut down or lash out. If you are blaming them, right? If you're analyzing your partner, oftentimes people will struggle to get through to their partner because they go at them and say, oh, you've got this problem or, you know, your family has this history or you need help. When you can't tell your partner to get help, you can't tell your partner how to change their behavior, you can make requests. The only thing you can really control though is your own behavior and how you respond to your partner's behaviors. And I think because we don't talk about sex in a more proactive way, we wait until a problem arises as opposed to having these conversations just because, because they're relevant and fruitful, by the time we get to them, we're often so frustrated that we are the worst versions of ourselves. I know I'm like that. I have difficulty picking my battles or picking what issues to bring up. And then sometimes I wait too long and then I don't bring up the issue in a constructive way and it gets nowhere. Whereas if I wait till I'm calmer, perhaps I've had a good night's sleep or I've had my feet on the ground for 24 hours... I find the conversation is more fruitful and it's because I approach it in a way that makes you more receptive to it. But we're all guilty of that. I think when nothing is wrong, you don't need, you don't think you need to fix anything, Mm -hmm. but you forget that you need to maintain that state of good and to maintain it requires conversation. Yes. And that's why I really do believe you have to invest in your relationship the way you invest in area, every area of your life. So for example, if you're, if your fitness is really good, you're feeling really good about, you know, how many reps you can do and how, you know, how much you work out and whatever it is your goals are when it comes to fitness, you don't just stop. You don't stop and say, you know what? I'm good now. I'm not going to work out for a couple months or a couple years. Some people do. Me. And what happens, <laughs> right? Yeah. But Investing into the relationship, I've noticed in our relationship that when you and I are good and those conversations are being had, when we're reflecting, when we're engaging in very short two, three, five minute activities every single day that focus in on making this relationship better, every other 
aspect of my life is better because I can invest more time into work or into personal. And you and I, again, have this base that's good and you're supportive of what I need to do or what I want to do. Well, I think you lobbed that up for me and I need to bring up my 50 video course that's upcoming from happiercouples.com. 50 exercises to save your relationship. I want to call it the don't get divorced course, but it's for people in all types of relationships. And they're just exercises, 50 little things you can do to open conversation and invest in your relationship, not wait until the problems arise. And really, again, if your finances are in good order, you don't just let it slide. You look for other opportunities oftentimes to grow and we need to do the same in relationships and and I think the key is it is always easier to talk about a topic when you're not in the midst of tension and strife so if you can talk about money kids sex all that stuff when things are good you're probably going to find that these conversations are preventative and fewer problems arise and that's part of sexual empowerment too just the talk Here we are 18 years later, we did those exercises and we recorded them. I laughed, I cried, I felt better after each one. And I know that sounds like a sales pitch, but it really isn't. It was, it was moving for me and we've done them over the years, but to do them all again was, it really reminded me how important and how good this relationship is and can be and how every other aspect of my life can can be better when this relationship is great it's interesting that you say that you felt better after these 50 exercises because we filmed them over the course of let's say a week and I hired other couples to also try them out on camera and what I found I think I had six other people come in was that the couples actually wanted to do the exercises. And I think that's why they said yes to me when making this request, because they thought, oh, this is really cool and they're going to get a copy of the course. So it sounds very promotional, but I I didn't intend it that way. In fact, it's not even ready yet. It's still, you know, being polished off, but when it's ready, it will be available at happiercouples.com. And with that, I think we're going to wrap it up. Another quickie on sexual repression. A big thank you to Desire Resorts. Check them out at Desire Experience. It is worth following along, maybe making a trip down there someday if you can. Thanks for chatting, babe. Yeah, it was great as always. And thanks for listening. We'll be back next Friday and every Friday. Have a great one. You're listening to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. Improve your sex life. Improve your life. Thank you.